Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I don't know, we live in just such a weird world right now. We want to impress everybody with how everything appears to be. What we want is what God has called for us to be as a church, and that should look like people from different backgrounds, different stories, financial backgrounds, and all that stuff. Why? Because we just come together beautifully as His body to minister to each other, but also to glorify Him. It's a cool thing. The church should be just the raddest thing on this planet, and I think it is, despite its scars and mistakes. Are you feeling lost and disconnected from your church community? You feel like your past mistakes are just too great to be forgiven? Well, in today's message, Pastor James shares how God's love isn't conditional. No matter what your background is or what your past might look like, God has a plan and purpose for your life. He's given you unique gifts and talents that He wants you to use to serve Him and His people. No matter what your past mistakes, the Lord still loves you and He has a purpose for you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Don't lord it over the people you're assigned to care for, but lead them by your own good example. Pastors and elders should be setting good examples for the congregation. And when the great shepherd, there is the great shepherd, his name is Jesus. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Sweet. So you're like, well, does this only apply to the elders or the shepherds? This actually applies to everybody who is faithful to their call to Jesus. Because this isn't the first time we see this promise. It's actually included in other letters written by Paul. So if you have been called by Jesus to do something, whatever that thing is, do it faithfully and he will hook you up in the end. Okay? So whatever drama you're going through, I I can promise you this one thing. It is absolutely worth it to remain faithful to Jesus. Because you may end up in one of those classrooms over there, and you're like, Lord, I can't take this anymore. He's like, I got a crown for you. Don't worry, right? Like, no, you you can make it. You'll be okay. Crowns are for all who who faithfully do what Jesus has called them to do. And just one little word on on shepherds. I I jotted down a few things. Uh, The role of a shepherd, protect, watch, to watch over, to guide, to heal, to search for, to love, to discipline. (gasps) We don't like that. Well, guess what? It's part of it, okay? And what? And to feed. The, The role of a pastor or pastors, plural, is to watch over the sheep that God brings here. And look, um, look, I'm not that good at it. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, there are some, I, I can read through that list and I see like, oh, I got some strengths, but I got weaknesses. And praise God, I'm not doing it by myself. Okay? I think some people are better at pursuing other people than what I am. I'll be honest with you. I'm not good at that. I'm just not. It's not my strength. Okay? Does that, am I comfortable with that? Not at all. I want to get better at that. But there are other people that are so gifted in pursuing others 
that that's part of the shared leadership thing. Some guys aren't so good at teaching, and that's fine. I think that that's one of my strengths, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. But it doesn't mean they're off the hook of teaching, because every elder should be able to teach. So you got this list, and there's strengths, and there's weaknesses, and all that good stuff, and I completely admit that, I, look, I, I don't, I'm not batting a thousand at any of these things. But I praise God that I have individuals surround, that God has brought here that help me in my weaknesses. Okay? So we're going to move on to, we got that, concerning that you got Jesus, he's going to show up, he's going to make everything better. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. Oh, yeah. Remember this book's about suffering and submission, okay? You're like, well, I thought we were done with that. Yeah. No, we're back to it. Um, yeah, for any, he is addressing, you know, at this point in time, he's addressing to the older men and the younger men, full of energy, full of excitement and all that stuff. It's like, submit to these elders in the sense of their maturity and their wisdom, okay? You, you want that energy, you want that excitement, but you want that partnered with wisdom and maturity, okay? That was one of the cool things about what, what Chuck and those guys were able to accomplish because you had all these young hippie guys coming in full of enthusiasm and excitement. But not every idea they had was a good idea, Okay? <laughs> So you needed older guys who are wise, who could kind of wrangle them in a little bit and be like, all right, so let's, no, we can't do that, but we definitely can do that. And then this explosion happens. So what's, what's true of like older men and, and younger men is true of older women and younger women, okay? It's that same balance is there. Young ladies, you need older women in your lives. You need them. Older ladies, you need young women in your life. Older men, you need young men in your life. Younger men, you need older men in your life. Do not segregate this church. Okay? Don't, don't just hang out like, oh, I only want to hang out with young people. That's nonsense. That's not Christian. No, you want, like, I need a mix. I need older people speaking into my life. And I need younger men encouraging me and sparking that fire up inside of me again. Like, you have to have that balance. You have to have that balance. And in churches, just like any other organization, we like to separate into our own little groups. And I'm not saying that that's always bad, but there is a caution to that. If your little group doesn't have anybody older than you in it, you need to reevaluate your group. You need wisdom. If your little group doesn't have anybody younger than you guys in it, you need to reevaluate your group. You need new life and energy within it. Okay? We need each other. Young, old, we need each other. It's a beautiful thing that God has created, this thing called the church. It just should look, it should look different from age, age demographics to, to the, the color of your skin. It should be just so diverse and just beautiful. Beautiful. That's always been his plan, by the way. He, he hasn't always just wanted like, well, I just want a vanilla church and I want a chocolate church or whatever, right? Like, no, that's, what does he want? He wants, I, I have a church. One church. Capital C church. The body of Christ. And it should look different. It should look different. So praise God for diversity within the body. 
We celebrate that. We absolutely celebrate that. We welcome it. We want more of it. But that's not just like, now it's like kind of, you know, kind of trendy to be like, well, we want to make sure that we have different ethnicities represented in the church. I'm all for that. But I also want different age dynamics within the church as well. Okay? Nobody's talking a lot about that anymore. Right? Because, I don't know, we live in just such a weird world right now. We want to impress everybody with how everything appears to be. What we want is what God has called for us to be as a church. And that should look like people from different backgrounds, different stories, financial backgrounds, and all that stuff. Why? Because we just come together beautifully as his body to minister to each other, but also to glorify him. It's a cool thing. The church should be just the raddest thing on this planet. And I think it is, despite its scars and mistakes. Younger, accept or submit to the authority of the elders. It says all of you, all y'all. That's the Texas version. New Texas translation right here. Um, (laughs) All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. So again, going off of that, like we need each other. This, This phrasing here, dress yourself in humility, speaks of the garments of a slave. And the best picture of this it's found in John chapter 13. When Jesus dressed himself as a slave to stoop down and wash the disciples' feet, that's exactly what Peter is talking about when he says this. You and I should be willing to do that for each other. For each other. And never forget who was part of that foot washing ceremony. Judas was there. Jesus stooped down and washed the very man who he knew was going to betray him. He washed his feet. Got to Peter. Peter's like, you can't wash my feet. You can't serve me, Jesus. I serve you. That's how this thing goes. Some of us have that complex. Right? I'll admit it. No, no, Jesus, I serve you. You can't wash my feet. I wash your feet. And he would say, hey, how about you just humble yourself and let me serve you? No, 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 I can't do that. I don't like people serving me. I don't. Okay? I like to just serve others. That's how I am. I don't know if you're like that, but I bet that there are people in this room who are exactly like that. It's hard for you to let somebody serve you. It is, isn't it? It's much easier to serve other people. I find some of you don't have a problem with that. You're actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're on the wrong end, too. I'm on one end that's wrong. You're on the other end. Like, I think everybody should serve me. No, that's no. No, we need to meet in the middle, okay? Your goal is to meet in the middle. We should be serving each other. We should clothe ourselves with humility. Think of each other as better than ourselves. When you do this, this part is, this, this next little section is key to the, probably the most famous verse in this whole, this whole chapter, small little chapter. He says, dress yourself in humility so you can, and as you relate to one another, for, here's your little reference to the Old Testament, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what God wants is humility, okay? So humble yourselves, verse 6, under the mighty power of God, And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. My mentor, 
who died this last year, would always tell me, he's like, James, he's like, you got two options. Humble yourself or God will humble you. Which one do you want? I'm like, oh, I think I should probably humble myself. Because him humbling me could be very embarrassing, I guess. Um, I don't want, if I can avoid that, then that's great. And I remember him telling me that like early on in my walk with Jesus, humble yourself or he will humble you. Why? Because that's what's best for you. The attitude of humility is what, is, is what we need. Charles Spurgeon said, if you're willing to be nothing, God will make something of you. If you're willing to be nothing, God will make something of you. So contrary to what our world teaches today. But Jesus says, no, be humble. Be humble. I'll, I'll, I'll exalt you at the right time. I'll lift you up at the right time. But when you interact with each other, you should be humble. You should consider others as better than yourself. You should be looking out for the needs of others, others minded. That's what Christians should be. And that is absolutely key to verse seven. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Give all your, mine says worries, should say anxieties. Give all your anxieties and cares to God for he cares about you. Like that is like one of those, like I got a handful of verses that are like near and dear to my heart. And this is one of them. This is one of them. I quote this verse, not only often to other people, but to myself. Why? Because I deal with anxiety. I wrestle with anxiety. Everybody wrestles with anxiety. Everybody has issues with anxiety. I don't know why this has become some faux pas within the churches of like, no, don't say that. Why? Why? Because you think that makes you weak? It doesn't make you weak. It makes you real. Every single person wrestles with anxiety. Now, it's what you do with the anxiety. Okay? Paul would say, don't be anxious for anything. But what? But through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. So you gotta, you got to handle it. you got to deal with it. Okay? It's not just one thing to be like, yeah, I wrestle with anxiety, or I, I struggle with anxiety. Well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Because it's not okay to like be cool with anxiety, to give it place within your heart and your mind. You have to deal with anxiety. And Peter says right here, he's like, when you're humbling yourself, that makes verse 7 a whole lot easier. Because a prideful person does not want to give anything over to God. I got it. I got it. Lord, my life's falling apart right now. But don't worry about me, God. I got it. I got it. I'm sick as can be. But I'm, I'm going to wrestle through this one, Lord. I'll call you if I need you. No, the, the humble person says, Lord, I can't handle any of this. Like, this weight is crushing me. Crushing me. Can you please take this from me? And he says, of course I'll take it from you. Because I'm a good father. Because I care about you. There is no other religion on this planet whose God does this. There is no other one. You can fact check me all you want. Like I've studied other world religions. There is no other God on this planet who offers this to you. 
The one true God, God Almighty, is the only one who comes down to our level and lifts your chin up and says, give it to me. Give it to me. Those anxious thoughts you have, I'll take them. That thing that has you just weighed down, give it to me. I'll take it from you. But you've got to be humble enough to do that. That's the thing. That's what I wrestled with for so long in my life. I was so prideful, so proud of just, or just like, no, I can handle that. Because all my life, I've handled stuff. Like, that's how I was raised. You don't ask anybody for help. You just handle stuff. You can't rely on anybody else. If it's going to get done, it has to be done by you. That's how I was trained. That's how I was brought up. That is very countercultural to Christianity. And that is a hard thing to break. Even to this day, 20 years and following the Lord, this is still one that I wrestle with. I got it, Lord. I don't want to bother you. I don't want to bother you. That's the most insane thing we could say to God. I don't want to bother you. He's like, please bother me. Please. Like, that's what I'm here for. Give all your worries, all your cares, all your anxieties, give it to him, cast them on him. And Peter uses this, this term here, which I, I just think it goes back to his, his days as a fisherman, where he would take that net, and those, those types of nets, you have to have it. Rusty let me borrow a net, but it was just like on the, on the pole, and I was like, wow, that would work. But then I forgot it. Oh, well, you guys know how it works with me. But you got to take both hands on this net, and you have to like fling The idea is to throw from, throw away. Take whatever that is that has you weighed down. Whatever it is, take it by two hands, okay? And uh, I can't remember who it was. It could have been Charles Spurgeon, but it talked about, you know, one hand is, is the hand of prayer and one hand is the hand of faith. You grab hold of that anxiety that has you weighed down with both of those hands, prayer and faith, and you chuck that thing as far away from you as possible. God's like, throw it to me. Give it to me. It's too heavy for you to carry. I never intended you to carry that. I'm stronger than all your cares. I'm stronger than all your anxieties. I can handle anything you throw at me. I can handle not only what you can throw at me, but what the entire world can throw at me all at once. Because there is no limitation to our God at all. So you and I are, are commanded in one sense by the apostle Peter, who says, give it all to him. Take it with two hands and just hurl that thing to him. So the idea of that as well is you have to let go of the net. You got to let go. You can't fake it. No, wait, I want it back. That's what we do. Let it go and trust God with it. You're going to have anxiety. To whatever degree you do, it's just how you deal with it, okay? So the rest, the rest of this, he, he goes and gives like a little a shout out here. But there's a warning before we close this out. I'm running out of time. I can't go into First Peter next week. Uh, I've already promised Romans. Um, <clears throat> so give all, why, why give all our cares and our anxieties and worries to him? Well, this next part tells you why you should do that. Verse 6, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, the accuser, the liar. It says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You don't have time to be weighed down by anxieties. 
This is a race. And if you're weighed down by all this weight, you ain't going to get away. Now, here's the deal. We're not looking to run away from him either, though. You don't have to run from Satan. You don't have to. In fact, that's not even effective. Right? If you ever go on a hike and there's like warnings about bears, they say, don't run from the bear. Okay? Because then he sees it as a challenge. It's like, sweet, fast food. All right? I'll show you. I got you. No, in fact, they, they tell you to like do what is counter to everything that is inside of you. Make yourself bigger. Right? Make yourself bigger. They also say to play dead. I'm not for that one. I'm like, I'll take my chances running. But, you know, I'm not going to play dead. But they say if you make yourself bigger, more than likely that, that bear, that animal, will actually flee from you, even though he could just devour you in, a bit, in just a second. But Peter says, stay alert. Watch out for this, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Stand firm against them. You don't need to tell them anything. You don't need to tell them anything. You, need, you don't need to shout at them. You just stand firm. Stand firm on what? Stand firm on who you are in Christ Jesus. Stand firm in the word of God. Like, you might be roaring, but you ain't got no teeth, bro. Like, Jesus kicked the teeth out of your mouth when he, when he rose from the grave. That doesn't mean he can't hurt you. Right? I don't care if, if a lion is toothless. If that dude jumps on you, it's going to hurt, right? But you stand firm, not on your strength, not in anything like that, because you've humbled yourself and you cast all your anxieties on the, onto him. You stand firm on the word of God. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same suffering you are. So resist, don't flee. And then the last little shout out to the, this last little closing here. It says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, he will support, he will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. There's four promises for you. Write those, underline those dudes. All power to him forever. Amen. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas who I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing this is to encourage you and to assure you that, you are ex- that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in his grace. There's another command, stand firm. Your sister church here in Babylon, that would probably, it's more likely Rome is what he's talking about there, sends you greetings and so does my son, Mark. This is from Mark who the gospel of Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. That doesn't need to be applied today. Definitely don't come at me with that. Handshakes, fist bumps, high fives. That's it, okay? Maybe a side hug. I'm good with side hugs. That's the grace of God in my life. Peace be with you all who are in Christ. The formula for handling whatever. This is from Charles Swindoll. He says, here's your formula. Submission to others plus humility before God Minus the worries of the world equals genuine relief. Submission to others, humility before God, minus the worries of the world equals great relief. Hope 
you're at all familiar with the book of Job, then you can easily see how the book of 1 Peter ties into Job's experience of suffering. It doesn't seem fair, does it? You might ask, why aren't the unrighteous the ones that experience suffering and hardship? Why are those that want to follow God with all their hearts the ones that face trials? The truth is, it doesn't make sense to anyone who doesn't know God. But by knowing Him, you're willing to endure hard things, trusting that there's good ahead. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter states, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you, with meekness and fear. So the next time you have an opportunity to share your testimony, make sure you include the fact that yes, you go through trials, but it's God working in and through you that gives you and others hope for the future. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken as we go through the book of 1 Peter. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. For those of you in the area, we would love to see you this Sunday. We meet every Sunday at 10 in the morning and every Thursday at 7 in the evening. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that laid-back atmosphere, you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad that you decided to spend your day with us. And we look forward to the next edition with you in the book of 1 Peter, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.